Giving through Grace Fellowship is a ministry called Third Millennium. Uh, and Third Millennium uses that very technology to make seminary education available uh, for free to leaders in places like Africa and Asia where seminary level education, uh, where leadership is most needed, where training is most needed. Uh, Third Millennium goes using uh, media to provide seminary education to those folks. So just a, just an example of how uh, you can have a global impact uh, sitting in a in a sanctuary in Clanton, Alabama. So thank you, Paul, for bringing those things to our attention. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, good to see so many moms with us here this morning. And in honor of mothers, I'm going to preach from Luke chapter 3, which is really a joke. I'm going to just preach from Luke chapter 3 anyway. That's uh, just where we are. So uh, Luke chapter 3. Sorry, moms, no uh, no special sermons for this morning. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, if you've been with us, uh, we've been working our way through Luke's gospel. And last week, uh, so, so the first couple of chapters of Luke are all about preparation. We're getting ready for the arrival of this Savior. Uh, and then last week, we meet this guy, John. We call him John the Baptist, but that wasn't his, his name. That wasn't a title they called him. His name was John. And his job was to get people ready, ready for the Savior to come. And the way that he did that is he called people to repent, uh, to turn from their sin. Uh, and to uh, the, the way that he symbolized that was this washing, this baptism. Uh, and so John is out in the wilderness and he's calling all of these people to repent. And one of the things that I didn't bring out last week that I... that would be very important to know is that John's message would have been very offensive to his Jewish audience uh, because baptism was something that the Gentiles, the non-Jews did. If you, if you weren't a Jew, you had to, to, to be washed to become a part of the people of God. But I mean, if you were a Jew, it's, it's the Gentiles who were dirty, right? The Jews didn't need any washing. You ever look at other people like that, right? They're, they're the ones who really need the help. I'm, I'm doing fairly well, right? I've got it, I've kind of got it together. But it's the other, it's those people who need washing, who need cleansing. And John shows up and he says, nope. None of you have it together. Everyone needs to repent. Everyone needs to be cleansed. Everyone needs to be ready for the arrival of God's Savior. And it's today that we see him. Uh, he comes on the scene for the first time anyway as an adult. So Luke chapter 3, verse 21. If you're using the Bible there that's in the chair, it's page 859. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, uh, 
the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kasim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Maleah, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashan, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admon, the son of Arne, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Naor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. That was fun, wasn't it? This is God's word. Let's ask for his help. Father in heaven, thank you for even things like genealogies. God, would you teach us today why this is in your word And would you help us to understand how this applies to us? Change us. We need it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So at least one of the first takeaways that we can say, and I'll direct this at moms. uh, If you have not named a son Zerubbabel, what are you doing with your life? Right? You're, You're really not even trying. Okay? And if you only have daughters... Zerubina would be an option, right? So I don't want to have the same conversation next year. Let's get more creative in the naming of our children, okay? Okay, but seriously, what uh, what's going on here, right? Uh, why? Uh, it's kind of strange, right? Luke is is building steam towards the arrival of this Savior. We see him come on the scene, and then we get a list of names. All right, what? Well, why would why would Luke do that? Why plop a genealogy right here in the midst of all this action? And um, part of being a good reader, particularly when it comes to the Bible, is learning to ask questions. Right? Looking looking at the passage. Right? I, I fear for most of us, we open the Bible, we read it, we go hmm, and we close the Bible and we walk away. Right? The most transformation happens when we actually engage with what we read and we ask questions like, why? Luke was very intentional in putting this long list of names right where he did, and we need to ask why. It's not like Luke goes, oh, wait, I I forgot to talk about that. Hold on, right? He doesn't interrupt himself. He very intentionally places uh, this genealogy, this family tree right here. And if we zoom out just a little, I believe we can see why. Okay? Um, right, John comes on the scene, baptizing, saying, get ready. 
And then Jesus comes with the crowd and is baptized. Uh, and really the focal point of the whole passage is when this voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. And then what does Luke say? Jesus was the son of Joseph, of so-and-so, of so-and-so, of David, of so-and-so, of so-and-so, of Abraham, of Adam, of God. Jesus was the son. And then, in the very next passage, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to meet God's adversary, Satan... And Satan's challenge to Jesus, and we're going to look at this more next week, but Satan's challenge to Jesus begins this way. If you are the son. So this is all about Jesus's identity as the son. This is all about Jesus's sonship, right? Uh, and really what we're seeing here in this passage is that Jesus is the son of two worlds, Right? That He is the Son of Heaven. He is the Son from the Father. He is God's beloved Son, His one and only. And He is a Son of Earth. He has a history. He has a family tree. He's not some demigod from some mythology. He actually is a real human being with a long line of people behind him. So Jesus is the son of two worlds. And here's why I think Luke does this. What Luke wants us to see is that this son of heaven has to come to rescue the sons of earth. That Jesus really is the only one who can make right what all of his ancestors have gotten wrong. And what all of your ancestors have gotten wrong. That's why Luke plops a family tree between Jesus' baptism and Jesus' temptation. He's showing us that Jesus is the only qualified Savior that there is. So the outline's pretty simple this morning. Two things. Jesus' baptism tells us who we need. And then Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' family tree, reminds us of why we need him. So the baptism tells us who we need, and the genealogy tells us why we need him. Let's look at his baptism first. Jesus, uh, and actually it's kind of interesting, Luke plays down the baptism. It's not all that important to Luke. John doesn't even, John's name is gone after this point, right? John disappears kind of into the background as Jesus comes to the foreground. But what's most important for Luke is not the fact that Jesus was baptized. He just kind of gives that as a time stamp. What's most important to Luke is this voice from heaven and the spirit descending. That's really the focal point. We're going to talk about what that means. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus comes, he comes with the crowds, he comes out to be baptized. But we need to ask why. Why does Jesus do this? Uh, Luke tells us back in chapter 3, verse 3, that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus is sinless, that's how Luke will portray him. So why would Jesus need to come and be baptized for, for, the, for the forgiveness of sins, for repentance, if, if he doesn't actually have to do that. Uh, and it's Matthew that gives us a little bit more information here. But what Jesus is doing is he is identifying with sinners. Jesus is coming with the crowds. He's coming with the very people that he has come to rescue to affirm that, yes, 
Repentance is needed. Yes, trust in the Savior is needed. Jesus is, again, keeping the righteousness of the law. He's saying, yes, cleansing is needed. And I have come. The one, the one who brings the better baptism that we talked about last week, the baptism of the Spirit, uh, the one who brings the better baptism comes to be baptized so that he can be identified with sinners. Um, but that really fades into the background as to what happens after Jesus is baptized. Luke tells us that as Jesus is praying, which is something Luke points to quite a lot, that at every pivotal moment in his life, at every, at every turning point, Jesus is praying. How interesting that the Son of God who enjoys intimate communion with, intimate unbroken communion with the Father still feels the need to pray. Right? And, per, and does so regularly, particularly when something important is about to happen. And as we see, something important does happen. As Jesus is praying after his baptism, the sky, like the clouds part, the heavens open, we're told, uh, which in the Bible is a sign that God is about to intervene, that God is interrupting the everyday. And, and two things happen, uh, when, when this happens. As the skies open, two things happen simultaneously. One, the Holy Spirit descends bodily like a dove. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit turned into a bird and landed on Jesus' shoulder. Sometimes we picture it that way. Luke just simply says it kind of had the appearance of a dove. So, so if we're focusing on the dove as an image of the Holy Spirit, we're probably, we're probably looking a little bit too far. Luke, I think, is just saying that Visibly, you could see it visibly, the Holy Spirit coming down out of heaven, resting on Jesus. Uh, and then there's this voice. This voice from heaven that says, You are my beloved Son. How much do we delight to hear uh, when, when a parent uh, affirms a child in that way? How much do we long, many of us, to have, to have heard that ourselves? You are my beloved son. And this is a reference to Psalm 2, verse 7, which is a royal psalm about King David. And in Jesus' day, uh, people read that psalm to look forward to the Messiah, right? They were looking for the one whom God would call son. Here he is. The voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. So Jesus is the Son, right? Capital T, capital S. Jesus is the Son. And then God's voice goes further. It says, you're my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. I am delighted in you, some translations say. And this is actually a reference to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42.1 says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. See that reference to the spirit, that reference to the servant. What, what, is, what is God saying about Jesus as the Holy Spirit comes down, right? He's, he's saying that He's basically giving his endorsement of Jesus, right? In the same way that, uh, that a, a, a political party would endorse a particular candidate to represent it. So, so God is saying, this is the man. 
This is my agent. This is the one who will carry out my mission. I am affirming him. I am sending my spirit to empower him. He is the son. He is the servant. Uh, when you have a, a major project to do, uh, when you've got when you've got work to do that you don't really know how to do, what what do you look for? Right, you you look for somebody with credentials, somebody with some expertise, don't you? Um, many of us can probably do you know basic plumbing or electrical task. Some of us less than others, right? But when it comes to say rewiring your whole house. You probably want to get somebody with some credentials to do that, okay? Uh, unless you're a risk taker and then be my guest, right? Um, you, can, you can write your own last will. Did you know that? You can, you can write and sign your own will. If your estate's not very complicated, all my stuff's going to my kids, split it up three ways, and you sign your name and get a notary. You're good, right? That's all you need. However, for most things in the legal system, you're going to need an attorney, Right? Someone with some credentials, someone with some expertise. Well, that's what, as God affirms Jesus, that's what's happening right here. God the Father is saying about His Son, He's got the right credentials. He is the one who is uniquely qualified for my, for my rescue mission. Nobody else can do the job. And you and I need to hear that. Because sometimes we like to think we can do the job. Some of us are a little bit on the controlling side, right? And we think that maybe we can be the Savior alongside Jesus. Let me see if I can help Jesus out just, just a little bit, right? I, you just nudge, it, I can, just nudge Him in the right direction. And no matter how many times that creates anxiety, no matter how many times that creates stress, frustration, anger, uh, we keep doing it. And we need to see that Jesus is the only one who is uniquely, uniquely qualified for this mission. He's the only one with the right credentials. He has the Spirit. He is the Son. He is the servant. He is the one that we need. But then Jesus' genealogy reminds us of why that's true. Maybe we know He's the one that we need uh, maybe we've heard that before, but why? Why do we need him? And so we have this long list of names. And most of those names are names we don't really know. We don't know most of the people in this list. But there are some big names in here that we do. We see David. Jesus is a son of David. And God made promises to David that David's son would always reign on the throne. And David was a good king, but he was also a terrible person. We see Abraham on here, right? It was, it was through Abraham that God would bring blessings to the world. He's the father of all the promises. But Luke doesn't stop at Abraham. We see Noah. Noah, this, this man who trusted God and built a boat... And watched his generation perish as he and his family were, were saved. But you know what? For each one of those heroes, they're not really all that heroic, are they? When you look at David's life, 
I mean, he's the king that Israel would always look back to. But he's also the king that had a man murdered so that he could cover up his affair with his wife. And we look at Abraham. Ah, Abraham. He trusted the Lord. He, he, he went without knowing where he was going. Yeah, and a couple of times he tried to take matters into his own hands and help God out a little bit, and it was disastrous relationally. Had a son with a slave girl who ends up kicking out of his house. It's a mess. What about Noah? Surely Noah's a hero we can trust. Surely he's somebody worthy. I mean, he alone of all his generation, he was faithful. Let me guess. Uh, let me let me ask you: of all the of all the sinners who perished in the flood, if 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 sin were wiped away in the flood, how do you think we still deal with it today? That's right, Noah, who got drunk and shamed himself after he'd gotten off the boat. Jesus's family tree does two things. One, it tells us first that Jesus is a real person. Uh, That Jesus is the one who has come to keep all of the promises that God made to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, right? Jesus, Jesus is the one who comes to keep all those promises. But the most striking thing about the list is that Luke doesn't stop at Abraham. No, he goes all the way back. Look at the last name on the list. Adam. Luke takes us all the way back to our common father. Why? Why would he do that? He does it to show that Jesus is not just the Savior for Jews. He's actually the Savior for the whole human race. He comes to save humanity. But even more than that, as you look down that list, right, that list of, of some of them, some big names, some heroic names, can you see anyone on that list with whom God is completely pleased? Would anyone else in Jesus' family tree, could God go to any one of those people and say, Ah, you, with you I am well pleased. And we've got to say no. No one on the list is good enough for God to delight in. Right? Because for every good thing they did, there were some equally atrocious, maybe even more atrocious things they did or didn't do. Even Adam. Adam, the prototype image of God, the one who had every blessing laid out in front of him, but who said, I would rather trust myself than trust God, right? He, the Adam, the reason that we know sin, the reason we know death, the reason we know misery. So there's lots of servants on this list, lots of sons, lots of servants, but none of them are good enough. No successes. And the reason that's important is if, just take a look at your own story. Look at your own history. Look at your own family tree. No doubt there are some admirable people there. People who have done well. Some stories of success. But I imagine there are a few skeletons in the closet as well. 
many dismal failures. Lots of blame, shame, dysfunction. Right, as we look back over our own histories, we're reminded of just how desperately fallen we are. Not only can I not redeem myself, but I don't see anybody in my past who can. And it's not likely to get any better. I don't see anyone going forward who can redeem me either. And so Luke takes us all the way from Jesus back to Adam to show us that now, that this time, it will be different. That finally, there comes on the scene a son who does please his father. A servant who will do what he's asked to do. A perfect son, a perfect servant who will trust God, who will do what He says. And He's the only one worthy. He's the only one that we can trust in. And any time we try to deviate from that, that's when we end up in a mess. And so Jesus is the one we need. And our own histories tell us why we need Him. Jesus is the only Son who pleases the Father. He's the only servant who can carry out His Father's will. He's the only one that that hears the voice say, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. In you, I take delight. Is that something you want to hear? I mean, all of us want to hear our parents say, Well done. We had a a guest speaker last year at a men's event uh, who made the point, I'm going to botch it now, I'm paraphrasing, but he made the point that what our sons, what our children want more than anything is to know that their dads are for them. Is that what you want? Do you want the Father's approval? If that's true of our earthly dads, how much more of our Heavenly Father? Do we want God's approval? The only way that you can come by that. You can, you can try. You can trust uh, in something else like David, like Abraham, like Noah. Or you can trust in the one who's already heard, with you I am well pleased. The only way to experience God's delight is to trust in the one He delights in. And that is the Lord Jesus. And if you are in Christ, the Bible, to, the Bible says that you have the spirit of adoption. That you, you gain the right to call God Father because of what Jesus has done for you. And because you have repented and believed in Jesus. And so that invitation is for you, for you this morning. Have you trusted in the one in whom the Father delights? The one who is uniquely qualified to rescue lost sinners. Let's pray. God, as we even read through that list of names, we're reminded that there are a lot of nameless, faceless people who have gone before us. And all of them have experienced exactly the same thing that we will experience that we are simply part of a story 
And it is a story filled with some good, but it's also a story filled with some bad. That everywhere we look, within ourselves and within our families, we see sin, and it must be dealt with. And so, God, we rejoice that You have dealt with it in Your Son, Jesus. Your man, Your agent, the one who You've endorsed to carry out the rescue. I pray that we would trust in Him and that we would see transformation as a result. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and let's worship God through the giving of our gifts.